Night by L. Weasel, Chapter 1 They called him Moist the Beetle, as if his entire life he had never had a surname. He was the jack-of-all-trades in the Hasidic house of prayer, a shittable. The Jews of Saget, the little town in Transylvania where I spent my childhood, were fond of him. He was poor and lived in utter penury. As a rule, our townspeople, while I did help the needy, did not particularly like them. Morse the Beetle was the exception. He set out of people's way. His presence bothered no one. He had mastered the art of rendering himself insignificant, invisible. Physically, he was as awkward as a clown. His waif-like shyness made people smile. As for me, I liked his wide, dreamy eyes gazing off into the distance. He spoke little. He sang, or rather he chanted, and the few snatches I caught here and there spoke of divine suffering of the Shekinah and exile, where, according to Kabbalah, it awaits its redemption linked to that of man. I met him in 1941. I was almost 13 and deeply observant. By day I studied Talmud, and by night I would run to the synagogue to weep over the destruction of the temple. One day I asked my father to find me a master who would guide me in the studies of Kabbalah. You are too young for that. Maimonides tells us that one must be 30 before venturing into the world of mysticism, a world fraught with peril. First you must study the basic subjects, those you are able to comprehend. My father was a cultured man, rather unsentimental. He rarely displayed his feelings, not even within his family. He was more involved with the welfare of others than with that of his own kin. The Jewish community of Saget held him in highest esteem. His advice on public and even private matters was frequently sought. There were four of us children, Hilda the eldest, then B, I was the third and only son, Zipporah was the youngest. My parents ran a store. Hilda and B helped with the work. As for me, my place was in the house of the study, or so they said. There are no Kabbalists in Saget, my father would often tell me. He wanted to do that to drive the idea of studying Kabbalah from my mind. In vain, I succeeded on my own in finding a master for myself in the person of Moist the Beetle. He had watched me from day one as I prayed at dusk. Why do you cry when you pray, he asked, as though he knew me well. I don't know, I answered, troubled. I never asked myself that question. I cried because, well, something inside me felt the need to cry. That was all I knew. Why do you pray? He asked after a moment. Why did I pray? Strange question. Why did I live? Why did I breathe? I don't know, I told him, even more troubled and ill at ease. I don't know. From that day on, I saw him often. He explained to me, with great emphasis, that every question possessed a power that was lost in the answer. Man comes closer to God through the questions he asks him. He liked to say, therein lies true dialogue. Man asks, and God replies. But we don't understand his replies. We cannot understand them, because they dwell in the depths of our souls and remain there until we die. The real answers, Elysier, you will find only within yourself. And why do you pray, Moish? I asked him. I pray to the God within me for the strength to ask him the real questions. We spoke that way almost every evening, remaining in the synagogue long after all the faithful had gone. 
sitting in the semi-darkness where only a few half-burnt candles provided a flickering light. One evening, I told him how unhappy I was not to be able to find and to get a master to teach me the Zohar, the Kabbalistic works, the secrets of Jewish mysticism. He smiled indulgently. After a long silence, he said, There are a thousand and one gates allowing entry into the orchid of mystical truth. Every human being has its own gate. He must not err and wish to enter the orchard through a gate other than his own. That would prevent a danger not only for the one entering, but also for those who are already inside. And Moist the Beetle, the poorest of the poor of Saget, spoke to me for hours on end about the Kabbalah's revelations and its mysteries. Thus began my initiation. Together we would read, over and over again, the same pages of the Zohar, not to learn it by heart, but to discover within the very essence of divinity. And in the course of those evenings, I became convinced that Moist the Beetle would help me enter eternity, until that time when question and answer would become one. And then one day all foreign Jews were expelled from Saget, and Moist the Beetle was a foreigner. Crammed into cattle cars by the Hungarian police, they cried silently. Sitting on the station platform, we too were crying. The train disappeared over the horizon. All that was left was thick, dirty smoke. Behind me, someone said, sighing, What do we expect? That's war. The deportees were quickly forgotten. A few days after they left, it was rumored that they were in Galicia, working and even that they were content with their fate. Days went by, then weeks, and months. Life was normal again. A calm, reassuring wind blew through our homes. Shopkeepers were doing good business. Students lived among their books, and children played in the streets. One day, as I was about to enter the synagogue, I saw Moist the Beetle sitting on a bench near the entrance. He told me what happened to him and his companions. The train with the deportees across the Hungarian border and once in Polish territory had been taken over by the Gestapo. The train had stopped. The Jews were ordered to get off and onto waiting trucks. The trucks headed towards a forest. There, everybody was ordered to get out. They were forced to dig huge trenches. When they had finished their work, the men from the Gestapo began theirs. Without p- passion or haste, they shot their prisoners, who were forced to approach the trench one by one and offer their necks. Infants were tossed into the air and used as targets for the machine guns. This took place in the Galician forest, near Calame. How had he, Moist the Beetle, been able to escape? By a miracle, he was wounded in the leg and left for dead. Day after day, night after night, he went from one Jewish house to the next, telling his story in that of Malka, the young girl who lay dying for three days, and that of Toby, the tailor who begged to die before his sons were killed. Moish was not the same. The joy in his eyes were gone. He no longer sang. He no longer mentioned either God or Kabbalah. He spoke only of what he had seen. But people not only refused to believe his tales, they refused to listen. Some even insinuated that he only wanted their pity that he was imagining things. Others flatly said that he had gone mad. As for Moish, he wept and pleaded, Jews, listen to me. That's all I ask of you. No money, no pity, just listen to me. He kept shouting in synagogue, between the prayer at dusk and the evening prayer. Even I did not believe him. I often sat with him after services and listened to his tales, trying to understand his grief, but all I felt was pity. 
They think I'm mad, he whispered, and tears like drops of wax flowed from his eyes. Once I asked him the question, Why do you want people to believe you so much? In your place, I would not care whether they believe me or not. He closed his eyes as if to escape time. You don't understand, he said in despair. You cannot understand. I was saved miraculously. I succeeded in coming back. Where did I get my strength? I wanted to return to Saget to describe to you my death so that you might ready yourselves while there is still time. Life? I no longer care to live. I am alone. But I wanted to come back to warn you. Only no one is listening to me. This was towards the end of 1942. Thereafter, life seemed normal again. London Radio, which we listened to every evening, announced encouraging news. The daily bombings of Germany and Stalingrad, the preparation of the Second Front, and so we the Jews of Saget waited for better days that surely were soon to come. I continued to devote myself to my studies, Talmud during the day and Kabbalah at night. My grandfather came to spend Rosh Hashanah with us so that as to attend the services of the celebrated robe of Borsh, my mother was beginning to think it was high time to find an appropriate match for Hilda, thus passed the year 1943. And this has been part one of chapter one of night.